hope you'll join me in uh, the Ten Commandments. They're in Exodus chapter 20. They're also in, restated in Deuteronomy 5. But uh, this morning we're going to read from Exodus 20, once again, verses 1 through 17. Listen to what God says through his voice. God spoke these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This upon our hearts with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may we be able in turn to live in response to this great direction. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now. And thank you that we can call you thank you for that representation that we have, that you want that intimacy with us. Let this good news come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our salvation. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as we, we look at these directions homeward, today God calls us in the wilderness and talks to us about idols. And he knows that we're in a wilderness time because we're on our way home. And as we do, I think we have to ask ourselves, who or what do we idolize? used to talk about matinee idols. Seems like sports figures get idolized now. But the answer to this will show us where we think our hope is and will cause us to look deeper 
into what God offers us in this command to discover what real hope is. That's why God says, don't have an idol. Let's see what your real hope is. Look at this context. We talked about this last week. Israel is in the wilderness. It's desolate. It's hot. It's miserable. It makes Tonopah, where I will be, by the way, in about three hours, <laughs> look like a garden spot. But they, they are in a tough situation. They've been released from slavery. They've been miraculously led across the mark of chaos and death itself as they've been led across the Red Sea. By all rights, they know they should have been consumed and swallowed up, but they were not. They have been fed when there was nothing. And any time the bad guys showed up, you know, the, the at uh, Amorites and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, you know, all those Ike people, you know about them? They've never been a problem. The bad guys have all been run off. By Israel? No, come on. By God's mighty hand. They have been protected. And I would suggest we have been protected as we stand in the shadow of the cross by God's provision in Jesus Christ. God was conditioning these people to be a mark that God would always deliver his people. So now, now here they are in the middle of the wilderness, and they're at a time where they need some direction, and God sets some basic directions, and you would think, oh, phew, great, I'm glad you showed up. I'm glad you brought direction so we will know how to do the rest of this because you've been so faithful, and you've gotten us through all of this stuff, Boy, I'm glad you wrote it down for us. Thanks. Right? You know, they should be celebrating. Hooray! Why is there not a festival of the Ten Commandments? There probably is. But they didn't have one then. In fact, they, the, the festival they had was just the opposite of that. Moses goes up the mountain to get the law, and what do they do? They make an idol. They party. They celebrated all right. They celebrated that Dad was gone and that they could do whatever they wanted. Think back to our growing up. Our parents, if we were so blessed, our fathers, put some boundaries in place. And they put those in place to protect us and spare us from whom? Ourselves, that's right. From jumping off some cliff. But did we always obey? I know Alan did. He always did what his father told him to. Because his father was a pastor and pastor's kids always do the right thing. They're angelic. Mine is. But today, today we focus on God's command to have no idols. And, and we could so easily go, well, come on, let's just skip that one. Who's got, who's got a tiki god in their house? Well, except maybe Don Berger who has the tiki god. Oh, you don't have it anymore from winning the chili cook-off. She's even got rid of that idol. Good. But no, we could think, oh, we're way too sophisticated. Come on, this is the 21st century. We, we're not superstitious like that. We don't have idols around. We're way too sophisticated. We're too smart for that, right? And that's just the way the devil would want it. That's exactly what the devil wants us to think. Oh, good, you think you don't have idols. Wonderful. I got you right where I want you. Because the idols that surround us are every bit as real and need every bit to be avoided as the ones 
God spoke to Israel about. There is the idol of our agenda. There's the idol of our thinking we know exactly how life is to go. There is the idol of our sense of what's going to make everything right. And we see it in the political rage and rancor and bitterness that is swallowing up this very nation. When by all rights we are one people, one tribe that stands in the need of one thing the deliverance that only God can bring. Not my agenda, not my plan, not my politics, not my candidate. Because our deliverance is only going to come from the hand of the mighty one who loves us more than life itself and gave himself up for us in Jesus Christ. So let's look at what and why God calls us to avoid idols and, and to see what those idols are in our own personal journeys. First, we need to remember that God said this because God loves us, loves us with an everlasting, deep love, a love that understands us better than we understand ourselves. And God knows, just like our parents, who if they were trusting God, that we need to be loved this way. Now, we could say, well, I don't have any idols. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. We could say, I, I don't have any idols. I'm free of that one. But it has to be understood that God loves us completely such that when God forbids something, there is more to it than just not doing something. We, we could say, oh, well, there's no tiki gods in my house. Come, take a look. But as Elder Ralph Hines used to say, nature abhors a vacuum. Just because we've gotten rid of what we think are all the idols doesn't mean that the power of evil doesn't slide something right in there in its place when we think we've made everything right by our righteousness. So it is with God. It is, it is, it is not just that God says, don't have idols. God is comprehensively saying, do not leave any place where I am not worshipped. See, we could, we could say, oh, I don't have idols. Yes, but is there a place in my life where I worship something other than God? Oh, could you have just left that one alone? I, I got the first part, right? God says, no, because I love you. And if something else comes in the way of what stands for me, you're gone. John Calvin got this 500 years ago, 500 years ago, when he said, God with this command condemns all fictitious services which men in ingenuity have invented. God says, look, I know what you've tried to come up with. I know what you've tried to substitute for me. It's not going to work. You've tried to, to do an end run. So what have we invented to avoid the worship of God. It has been well stated by one commentator that it is easier to state in a few words what a believer cannot do. The Pharisees had that. Oh, good. We know what we cannot do. We haven't done it. We're good. But one's freedom to obey God opens up more possibilities than the, than the reverse. If we're free to obey or not obey, the law can be stated negatively more succinctly. The negative form also strives to meet the strong 
current of evil in the human heart. So God is saying, I know where you want to go. Don't go there. God simply states that we are not to make idols for ourselves, not to set a trap for us. God is not trying to catch us being bad. No. But rather to warn us about what will break our hearts. God knows. God knows. Look, I know it looks good. The apple looked good. It looked really good to get to have something that, that would be so tantalizing, but it's going to break your heart. And God knows what will break our hearts. And, and the devil would say, don't believe it. You won't die. It won't break your heart. God says, oh, yes, it will. Yes, it will. Wait. You watch. John Calvin, again, points out that God says this because God wants us to be content. Get that. God says, I don't want you to have idols because I want you to be content. And, and our humanness says, well, why don't you just let me have idols then? I'll be real content. Put, increase the, the limit on my visa. Fill my garage up with more stuff. I'll be real happy. You know, give me all the emotional satisfaction I want. Things will be good. All right? But God says, no. Those are idols that take you away from me. Notice how little contentment there is in our world. Have you noticed how that? And we're in our own lives. How often are we deeply content, even when things are going wrong, even when people are saying or doing things we don't like? Can we be content? We can be if we're trusting that God is totally in control and that we're not basing our hope on who's doing what or what's happening or what we have or don't have. God knows we will only be content when we have him as our Lord. We will only be content then. Augustine described this well in the fourth century when he said, until we have God as our Lord, we have ourselves as tyrants. Tyrants. Am I tyrannical toward myself? Yeah. Yeah, when I demand that I be satisfied on my terms. Uh, Augustine also said this. This is one I had not heard before. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that is meant to be worshipped. Let me say that again. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used. A credit card, our sexuality, power, prestige, position. And it is also using anything that is meant to be worshipped. Are we using God? Are we using God's word? rather than simply bowing down and saying, Lord, it's all yours and for your purpose. See, this is more than not having idols, which is static, like standing in the middle of the street and going, hey, I was just standing there. How did this car hit me? Oh, I don't get it. See, it's more than just being static and going, hey, I was just minding my own business. Yeah, where? In the middle of the freeway? At rush hour? Yes. You were where you knew you could not be and expect to live. How often are we doing that? That's idol worship. How often are we putting ourselves in a place, emotionally, physically, spiritually, where we know that there's every opportunity to get run over by something that will kill us spiritually or physically? 
Not having idols is actively making God the center of everything we are about. Let me say that again. Not having idols is making God the center of everything that we are about. Why? Why do we have to do that? Because God loves us. We don't have to do it. God says, if you want to know my love, make me the center of everything, and you'll see a love that you could never imagine. We get exhausted, don't we? And we wonder why. When, in fact, it is because we are standing in the middle of the spiritual street, dodging cars while holding on to the idol of doing things our way. There's an old proverb about a man who was trying to cross a raging current while holding on to, of all things, his favorite boulder. Do you have a favorite boulder? (laughs) He did. I think we all do, whatever it may be. And as he's trying to cross this raging current, he gets washed away. You know why? Because he would not drop the rock and reach for the shore. That's what God calls us to do in not having idols. Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus did not make that up. He was quoting God's promise from the Old Testament. This is what God is saying to us. Drop what you have and take hold of me. C.S. Lewis described this so well in a passage I read this week, speaking of how we can so nostalgically idolize things that lead us away from the source of our true joy. He said, the books or the music, fill in whatever, in which we thought the beauty, our, our great, great deep satisfaction was located, will betray us if we trust in them, whatever it is. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, our best memories. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn, uh, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers because it was not the feeling that we needed. It was the relationship with God himself. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. Oh, there's a country we've not yet visited. And God is calling us home to that, to that place. And none of the things of this world, none of the memories will take us there. Lewis says, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. We're longing for something and somewhere that we cannot get ourselves, and nothing in this world is going to change that. Only God's way in our lives will. And to be at last summoned, Lewis says, inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and efforts and also the healing of the old ache. Oh yeah, there's a longing. There's a longing in this world and in our lives that only God can fill it. 
the whole person. He is, he is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. In fact, Lewis once said that our idolatry is like being children, making mud pies in a slum and being satisfied with that. You know why? Because we don't know that there is an ocean, a shore of God's refreshment. To be idolatrous is therefore to idolize our way and, and to be satisfied with mud pies when God says, I have so much more. Do not have idols. I have something better. You see, God made us and he made us for himself and the things of this world can show us this such that the things in and of themselves are not bad, but they at, at best only point us to our need to belong only to God. When they become an end in, of themselves, they need to put, be put aside or even smashed. Sometimes we need to do that. Not because the things in and of themselves have power, but because it is our statement of going the opposite way to love only and bow to God and to recognize that we've been worshiping that which could not satisfy. To think that something itself gives us what only God can give is nostalgia, which again has its place, but only in so much as it leads us to gra the gratitude for remembering how faithful God has been and how right it is to belong solitarily to God and not anything in this world. That's why God says, remember, I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. Think of how ironically and subtly our culture misses this. For those of you just listening, I'm hunched over my cell phone with blinders on, about to walk off these steps. And we've all seen it. We've, we've seen car crashes because people are idolatrously hunched over something. The television, continually crouched over a computer. You know, there are, there's a whole new raft of medical diagnoses because people have been so consumed by crouching over their computers. It's wrong. Con continually searching and focusing more and more on that idol that is called me. Because that's what it all comes down to. The idol of me. And how me can be satisfied while ironically becoming more and more discontent as the idols idle away, doing nothing for us. Because they are, in fact, nothing. And never will they ever be anything that we try to make them. No political or ideological approach will provide what God is offering for us in solitary relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what he came in person to show us in his life and death and resurrection. He fulfilled his statement that there would be no peace. There would be no shalom until we are completely yielded to who Jesus is. And he showed us this in giving himself away for us completely. God calls us away, my friends, from anything that can be an idol because he knows nothing in this world will make us whole. And anything we try to allow to do this will only lead us away from God. The original sin was the pride of wanting something other than God. 
And that's why God says, I am a jealous God. Not like some jealous lover, not suspicious or envious or distrustful, but as the one who knows that until our devotion is solitarily to him, we will be frustrated and truly alone. And the punishment that he describes coming on the third and the fourth generations is the result of abandoning our first love. The one who loved us first and knows who we need and who calls us into the love that really is love that nothing in this world can be and nothing can take away. You see, not having idols is really quite simple. It is loving God so much that we do not love anything more than letting all that we are be at God's disposal and disposing of anything that is less than that. And that is God's invitation, my friends, to be loved so that we can love what God loves. Jesus came to make this possible, and he led us into knowing it. May we let go of anything less. May we recognize the ridiculousness of trying to cross a creek with a boulder in our arms, any idol, and may we sacrifice even the good things in our lives, of which there are many, to be placed on the altar of God's best in order that God's will may happen to us and through us for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Father, How sweet to be able to come to you and confess that you're the only one we need. And we need only what you have placed before us. And we pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, through the witness of Jesus Christ, we would let go of anything that keeps us from loving you and knowing you and making you know. We pray all these things. stand up. Let's go back. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the first century. And let's join together in confessing the truth of our hope. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let's sing.
set free. So let's go out from this place realizing that and remembering that because we've been set free in Jesus Christ, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.